It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans. We've moved. We used to be uptown. Now we're at Casa Borrega. Casa Borrega is brand new. It's a restaurant, a bar, and a live music venue on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. Before the show begins, while you're listening to this, could you do one little tiny thing for me? Take a moment to send some good energy the way of Casa Borrega and like them on Facebook. Or you can follow them on Twitter. They're Casa Borrega, C-A-S-A-B-O-R-R-E-G-A. I think it might only have one R, do you think? Uh, I or think it's it two? two. In fact, I think you're supposed to roll it, yeah? You're supposed to roll the I don't R's. Know, the world needs to know. Well, we'll get Hugo. We Hugo Montero is the uh, proprietor of Casa Borrega. We'll have him come over and tell us how to pronounce it yeah. in just a minute. But anyway, we've moved out of the Collins Hotel. I'll tell you all about that in just a minute. But in the next 60 minutes, you're going to get four... How many of us are there here? One, two, three, four. You're going to, make to get to meet just five of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans. And you'll get to hear some live music at the end of the show. You might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music. But you probably know that already, so let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together, my guest sitting around the table here at Casa Borrega. How's that? Like it. Yep. Are, in no particular order, Krista Rock, who is a photojournalist, a film producer, and director. Krista spent eight years shooting the news for WDSU in New Orleans, along the way winning two Associated Press Awards and two Press Club Awards before venturing out on her own and starting Krista Rock Productions. Krista's worked for every acronym in American News, CNN, ABC, HBO, and even the NFL. Krista's full first-length documentary, Nola Bound, premiered at the newly renovated Joy Theatre, Last year in 2012. Hi, Krista. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Well, nice to meet you after all this time. George <laughs> Boyle is sitting across the table from me. Is that your real name? No. Either of you, George <laughs> Boyle and Krista Rock, both of these sound like bullshit names. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Really? I think they might be true. We'll find out about that. George Boyle was also an award-winning producer and director for Cox Communications, who walked away from that life four years ago and since then has lived in Buenos Aires. Ooh. Learned a foreign language. I would guess that's probably Spanish. Written two novels. Jesus, is that right? A screenplay, a short story, two self-help books. Created a popular blog and website and launched a public speaking career on the practical benefits of unconditional peace. Jesus, you're a dark horse. George's first self-help book, Peace is Practical. That's very hard to say. Details how making contentment his number one priority transformed his life inside and out and clearly demonstrates how anyone, even you, Andrew, can thrive in both good times and bad. Well, I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. This is going to be life-changing this next hour, right? Hola. Can you promise <laughs> Can you promise to change our lives in the next 60 minutes, George? No. Oh, well, we'll do it anyway. Social Set. Two out of the four members of Social Set are our musical guests today. Sage Newell, who plays the saxophone, and Catherine Rosewood, who plays guitar and vocals. Is that correct? That's right. Social Set was founded in 2012, just last year. Their fresh, creative sounds blend R&B, funk, and a dash of rock to stimulate the mind and stir the soul. The band stormed fully formed onto New Orleans' music scene last year and plays regularly around town, including upcoming shows at Siberia, Hi-Ho, Always Lounge, Bank Street Bar, and the Maison. Social Set's debut recording, Celebrate, is due out any day. That's right, January 31st. January 31st, that is any day. Mm -hmm. And the first single off it, Ridiculous, is already a local favorite. <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Thank you. I'm so ha happy to have you here. Andrew Duhon is here with us, our happy hour hey. troubadour, yep. who wanders the earth and then once in a while wanders back to New Orleans and comes and sits down here with us. Feels at happy like hour. I never left. I know, just for only the. How, what are you drinking today? Uh, that's Maker's Mark. Very nice. And your new album called Moorings is due out at the beginning of March 9th. Yeah. March 9th, 2013. Is it The Moorings or Moorings? I think we're going to go with The. It was actually uh, something Moorings. that I grappled with, but I think I'm going to throw the, Stick uh, the, the in, it. in there. Okay. On piano is the fabulous, talented, charming, and always attractive Mitch Foreman, who doesn't even look a year older. Do you think? Despite <laughs> the fact that it's his birthday today. 
Oh, Mitchie. Very nice. <laughs> All right. Hey. Happy birthday. Hey, can you guys sing happy birthday? Sing you're actually in a band? In six-part harmony, actually. Okay, Ooh. come on. Okay, I don't know if I can <laughs> sing in any harmony. Can you give me a note where are we going to be? <laughs> we should have had that organized, really. Well, we, maybe we can do that during the show. Mitch, happy birthday. What are you doing for your birthday? Uh, it's going to be crazy. Nuts. <laughs> in, uh, it's New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Are you going out tonight? Uh, going to go out to dinner with the family. Oh, very nice. Uh, very nice. It? That sounds like a nice birthday. Should we ask him how? No, we can't ask him how old he is, really. He can just Should tell we? us. Can we just guess? Okay. <laughs> He's over 25. I know that for a fact. 31. 31? Any other guesses, George? 60. 60? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good range. I mean, it's okay to guess because we haven't actually seen him. We don't know, I've we don't know what he looks Mitch. like. I don't well, know what we Mitch him, looks like. We keep him hidden. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He's got his back to us. He's behind that thing. Yeah. George. What ha- what happened to you that you had such a transformation in your life that you went from being an award-winning producer and director for Cox Communications, whatever that means? What did you make for them? Well, I used to do a lot of client-based programming, um, fitness shows and stuff like that, and uh, music shows. And um, I came in just after Louisiana Jukebox had uh, terminated their, uh, their run. So they were in reruns when I first got there. Um, we did a lot of um, Cox promotions. We did a lot of post-Katrina um, coverage um, right. as well. And, um, and What they, channel is this on? This is well, on it Cox? It used to be Cox 10. Okay. But we were an all-purpose production arm for Cox Communications, so we did whatever they wanted us to do, whether it was marketing or promotions or internal training videos or whatever they this wanted us to do. This is before Ray Nagin. I mean, this is after This Nagin. is after Ray right, right. left. Yeah, that's right. That's Who was right. the boss then when you were there? Uh, well, you had um, Steve Sawyer was the head of my department. And um, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm blanking on yeah, it. Yeah, I, mean, I just thought maybe it was someone uh, interesting who we knew. But, but so, what did, so you, what did you do? You well, what does producer I was, mean? I was an all-purpose slave. <laughs> right. Um, I was a producer, director, video editor, programming coordinator, copywriter, uh, field producer, whatever they needed me to do. And uh, in a lot of ways, it was a great job because I learned a lot. Um, was it well paid? It, it got better paid. Let, let me good. put it that way. Okay. Um, Did you ever wait tables? A long time ago, yeah. I've done the whole gamut of things. Did you ever wait tables you know? at a restaurant on Lee's Circle? No. Okay, no. carry on then. I just wondered if that's Because, yeah, we've seen each other somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, but, uh, yeah. I just yeah. thought maybe you were a waiter, yeah. but nice. it wasn't it. But, but what actually happened was I'm that sure mine was. is a Katrina story. Okay. Definitely. Yes. Uh, because, um, you know, uh, b- the fact that I was in TV played a large part in that because I saw, you know, I was called back quickly after the, after the evacuation, the mandatory ad- evacuation. I saw a lot of stuff, as a lot of people did. And it just so happened that in my life, uh, in the months immediately following Katrina, there were some really unexpected tragedies in my personal life. Uh, a lot of people who were close to me passed away just all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Because of the storm? Or not related <coughs> not, to well, not related directly to the storm, but indirectly in some cases. Right. And uh, what basically happened, it was a wake-up call for me, uh, mm-hmm. that I'm not getting any younger, and um, that you know our existence basically, not only in New Orleans, but in general, is very tenuous. So mm-hmm. I just made up my mind that I was going to enjoy every day as much as I could. And it's not something, it's not 
uh, that wasn't a practice that was new to me. I've always been fascinated between uh, the results on what's going on on the inside as an athlete and the results you're, that are produced. You're an athlete? On, I used to play golf, yeah. yeah. Quite a, I chased the tour for many years. Golf yeah. is not a sport, is it? <laughs> <laughs> is that regarded as an athletic sport? I see you're looking at me like, oh, what an asshole. It's, it's a good, that, no, it's that, a good question. It's a good is question. that really like a, a sport, golf? I thought it was like... I don't know what would you call that. Well, let's put it this way: your granny is never going to hit the ball as far as Tiger Woods. So, um, but does it require strength, yeah. or does it require? It does some require. Sort of it does require. Art. Yeah. Oh, really? So it actually is arm strength and body strength to hit yeah. the ball. Yeah. In any event, um, did you play like professional golf or something? I tried to, with absolutely no success whatsoever. But I did learn a tremendous amount about the golf swing and history of golf along the way, and that was the this inspiration for my first book, Masterclasses: Master The Evolution of the Golf Swing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay. And, uh, I just ended. I just gave a series of presentations on a celebrity transatlantic cruise on that book. Um, no, that, so that that's was a boondoggle and a half. That was, that was pretty sweet. You get to sweet, go on a cruise you know? and you give a little lecture exactly. once a day for an hour. To a bunch of drunk people about Re- how retirees to swing a golf love ball. golf and they love golf right. history, so that was a lot of fun for me. What was uh, what did you do the rest of the twenty three hours a day on the cruise? Did you get to have any romance? Well, I just got drunk and screwed around. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> where'd the boat go? Uh, we started in um, England and then we went over to France, took a day trip into Paris, <laughs> and we went to Lisbon, Portugal. Oh my God, how great is um, that? And then the Canary Islands and then Miami. So that was I a love lot it. of fun. So what, um, what is the definition of the evolution of the Gulf Swing? What did it start out as? Well, what that is is that... Um, I mean, in a word. I mean, I mean, were people on their <laughs> knees? I don't want anyone to go through the history of the Gulf Swing. How, how, how dramatically has it changed over the years? Um, very dramatically, actually. Really? Yeah, Th- this is the, the greatest champions from about 1890 to 1990, starting with Harry Varden, all the way through Seve Ballesteros. Chris, do you know about Harry Varden? No, I do know they have those new golf clubs that do all this craziness, like they bend and stuff. It's all very... Do they really? Yeah. Why would, you want a, why would you want a bandy golf club? I think it's a swing no. tool, right? Wait, is it? Is it trains you to swing? Yeah. Ask, let's ask this guy. Okay, I haven't George. seen it. You haven't seen it? <laughs> no, I don't know oh. what you're talking about. <laughs> after he wrote the book, he gave up. <laughs> yeah. That's true, actually. Do you believe in evolution, then? Or creationism? Uh, that is an excellent question. Oh, thank you. Uh, Finally. And you see, after two years, right. I've come up with a good hey. question. I told you and I would. I, and I have an answer to that. <laughs> evolution is an intelligent design. Let me put it that okay. way. Okay. Because the conflict was between intelligent design and evolution. So and my response is there's no conflict right. at all. Sure. <laughs> why don't you call it the intelligent design of the golf swing then? Oh, mm. touche, sir. Th- just another brilliant question. Because I didn't what? have you in my life when I wrote the book. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have my phone number handy. Do you guys believe in evolution? <coughs> Catherine um, and Sage? Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. What's yes the no, no part? Uh, I mean, you can say your I don't opinion. Know. I Sage, you can go. You believe in evolution. I do. Yeah, I, be, okay. I believe in evolution of, you know, our day-to-day life, yes. <laughs> Your life is evolving. Yes. Talk into the microphone here. Oh, that's why, we, that's why yeah, we have I, be, I believe in evolution of our day-to-day life. And then, you know, obviously we've seen how we as, you know, human beings have evolved over the years. So, absolutely. I'm You'd have to it. believe it. In some ways, yeah. Do you play golf? I do not. Do what sport do you play, girls? Nothing anyway, no. but I, when Ping I was pong? little, though, I was a competitive ice skater. So. Oh. Nice. You were yeah. a competitive ice skater. But I quit it for a music figure. Nice. So my mom said, you either do that or you play the piano. So what did I pick? Yeah. <laughs> she did? Where, where did you grow up? Here in New Orleans? No, I grew up in um, Pennsylvania, southern Pennsylvania. Why did your mom pick the choice between the piano and figure skating? <laughs> 
what? I was doing What's both, and she her? said it's too much, and you mm. got to. I got to pick one or the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Because figure skating is um, very involved, so you know you have a lot going on, and you have the early morning practices and the afternoon practices, and it's, it's a number of hours. And mm. there's, there's no ice skating rinks here. So you'd have a hard time. But she wasn't yeah, here. Yeah. Right. She was in Pennsylvania. Well, I, well, oh, I no. see. What There's I no ice skating rink right. here at all. So right. if she didn't become a musician, then she'd be stuck figure skating. You wouldn't be in moving to New Orleans. Exactly. I see uh, what you're saying. Yeah. What? Um, but when you play the piano, practice the piano, you don't have to go anywhere. You can stay home and practice, right? Right. That's true. I'm I'm sure except for my teacher's house, you know. Oh, you have to go to the lessons. Mm-hmm. So are you a good piano player? Um, I, yeah, I can definitely function, but I would say that, you know, uh, in my teens, I picked up the guitar and kind of left the piano in the back. So, right. um, I do use it, but I don't often play it in, um, let's take a list to what, why don't we hear something? Sure. What do you think? Yeah, Bless. let's hear it. Okay. What are you going to play for us today? Uh, we have a track. We'll play celebrate off of the album. Off the celebrate, album? Okay. So we can pull it. We'll pull out the guitar in the saxophone. Okay. Well, we'll, Might we'll, take me a minute to get the saxophone Okay. Out. You've got the saxophone in the, in the thing. The container. <laughs> okay. So, so there's two more guys, and there's two guys in the band as well. That's right. And where are they today? Um, they're both students, so they're both in school at the and moment. What, and what do you do? Just lean in here. So. Sure. Um, what do you do? Well, I when actually you're not just defended my master's thesis today for music therapy. So today, I'm celebrating by being here. Fantastic. Um, wow. Thanks. Awesome. But um, no, I actually make my living as a nanny, and then I do contract music therapy on the side. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So Mu- what we'll is see what, we can what do. is music therapy exactly? Um, you're using music to help basically in lieu of more, we call it confrontational therapies, you know, verbal counseling, things like that. It's a non-threatening tool. Um, so we use it to address physical needs, uh, mental, social, emo- social, emotional, through the means like songwriting, maybe taking a song and analyzing the lyrics, addressing a subject, um, so this is for music a, improvisation. This is people with emotional problems yeah, or I've physical worked in problems. All kinds. Um, I've worked with special needs kids and we'll do a lot of music playing to work on their gross motor skills, fine motor skills, um, really? or like following directions and things like that. Yeah. So kids with autism, I heard, mm-hmm. have a great response to music therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's so true, you, do, yeah. you have you had any experience teaching... Yeah, um, I spent an internship working with um, autistic children. One of my siblings is autistic, so I have a lot of you know background. And, yeah. Um, there's something in their mind that just like really gravitates mm-hmm. to music, and I can't quite you know convey it. But I have seen a number of um, clients who, you know, are just totally non-responsive, ignoring you like the entire walking around the room by themselves when you're not using music. But the minute you start playing a chord on the piano or you pick up a rhythm on the drum, it's like all eyes on you. You know, and they definitely. Um, Definitely learn more life skills um, in regards to you can kind of like get their function, excuse me, focus through the music and then they'll learn the lyrics with you. For example, like you can teach them a song about what you need to do when you're getting ready for school and things like that. And they'll sing it back (laughs) to you. Yeah. But they would never, you know, verbally communicate that with you. That's kind of like imagination movers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are they popular yeah, with autistic? They have a big autistic audience. Do you think? Oh, I'm not really sure. Actually, I'm not too uh, too brushed up on how, imagination. How old? <laughs> how old do you have to get if you're autistic before people stop caring about you? Ooh. Um. Well, if you have good parents, never. But if you have parents who are a little less than caring, then you know it's pretty much 18 you phase out of the system. Right. Because you talk, uh, you hear about autistic kids, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. assumedly you don't 
grow out of being autistic. You're autistic for life, right? Right, yeah, So yeah. what happens to a person when they turn 18, 19, or 20? I mean, are we running into autistic people in our daily life, or where are they all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a wide, wide spectrum of autism, um, and then some. Like sometimes you'll know that the person has something wrong with them, but sometimes, you know, for example, my brother had some very intensive therapies growing up, so he really, he doesn't have any social deficits. He's, like, quite on par with his education and everything, but every now and then he kind of gets thrown off by some social cues, you know, and can't quite read it. But he's totally functional to live by on his own. Um, right. But I mean, after well, eighteen, f- attended. But did he? Was he worse when he was younger, and he got better through mm-hmm. therapy? Yeah, he got better through the therapy. Because you, you I mean, it's kind of true, isn't it? You don't sort of run into any autistic adults. Yeah, sure. No. But then we yeah. talk. We can t- also talk about mental health clinics and the fact that we don't have any. Right. You know what I mean? So I mean, you know, who knows how many of these kids that are growing up with autism and then don't have that health care that need it? I mean, I've actually I've seen like a. A number. I also worked at a psych hospital until like last year. Um, Which one? Uh, Beacon Behavioral Hospital in Metairie. So we Beacon were doing behavioral music therapy. Hospital. I never even heard of that. Mm-hmm. Is it? How many people are there? Uh, Clients-wise, there's like sixty to seventy, but it's an outpatient, um, inpa- like partial hospitalization. So they just come five days a week. But what I was noticing is it seemed like a lot of the clients who were coming in with like um, schizophrenic and paranoia mm-hmm. disorders, you know, labels, definitely had more traits of like autism, Asperger's, yeah. more learning disability, <clears throat> if anything, and probably just weren't appropriately addressed as a child mm-hmm. and then kind of stemmed in other things or right. maybe even misdiagnosed. So, How does your own music career function with this? Um, well, does I it, mean... Does it give you inspiration to write? You write? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of tunes on the album that um, have stemmed from experiences. The one we're going to play from you, for you is kind of one that uh, was written about, you know, or inspired by some of the experiences I've had there. Um, just because using music in the setting with them, with the psychiatric clients every day, as you know, one of the interventions you do is this thing called lyric analysis. So you bring in a song with oh, content sure. that you think relates to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you're talking about substance abuse, you might bring in Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers mm-hmm. or something. And then you go through it with them. But I was finding a lack of material that was... That would drive me crazy if I had to listen to that <laughs> <laughs> song again since 1993. That's the one you picked. How funny. Well, it just depends on their needs. But, you know, what I was noticing is the more I was bringing in music, the, the less I could find especially after working there for months and months, then I was like, oh, man, we're, we're getting really low, and I, I'm going to have to start writing some tunes for this stuff. Really? That's so that's kind of what stemmed it. And this is the song you wrote, Celebrate. Mm, yeah, okay, that's yeah. an interesting title for it as well. Let's take a listen to it. All right, we'll pull it out. Okay, social set. The family is here And my friends are back in town there's no room to worry, pick yourself up off the ground. Life is precious and we will use every minute. Enjoy the good, the bad, and live it in the moment. So Saturday, come on, come on. The party has arrived, you can hear the rhythm call. Even though we might Good job. True 
what you want in life is joy. So celebrate, come on, come on. The party has arrived. You can hear the rhythm call. Even then, we might fall. Social set. What a good, Hell a yeah. Good job. Very nice. Oh, that reminded me of Mardi Gras, some of that with the tambourine oh, yeah. and the. Did oh, you think? Good. Yeah, I just feel like we should have shakers and rhythm sticks next time. <laughs> yeah, we need to time. get more organized. You know? Did you redo? We did you redo? I don't yeah, know about yeah. that. That sounds like it's hard to play. Is that too much? It's, it's hard to play. Hard. That was a great little song, <laughs> eh? Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Did you that. play that for the autistic kids? <laughs> no. You don't? No, it was really for the psych clients, not for the. Oh, the psych clients. Yeah, the psych clients. The sort of schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah. Depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, all that. So. All that. God you Lord. have a beautiful voice. Oh, thank yeah. you. Amazing. Sorry, I'm coming off of being pretty sick, so I feel really? like that's all right. Are you contagious? Amazing. No. Okay, yeah. I'm just checking on that. <laughs> Don't worry. I wash my hands plenty of times. You'll I guess if you're working at a psych hospital, you can't catch anything. Well, <laughs> is, <laughs> is schizophrenia <laughs> contagious? <laughs> Do you find no, yourself? No, but you know, their germs are, <laughs> are pretty contagious. So. Mm. It was like low income. Clients, so you're having a lot of people who like you know aren't being uh, taken care of too well. or don't know really how to take care of themselves yet. So, mm. yeah. So I know that a lot of a lot of germs going around. But. Krista, you came here from Cleveland, is that right? That's true. And, you, and I read on this bio of yours, but I, you can't believe anything you read on the internet. It's just true <laughs> that you came here because two years before Katrina, you had a dream that New Orleans was flooding. Oh yeah, I didn't think that you were going to actually ask me this question. That's why I sent you a different bio. <laughs> Every time I tell this story, everybody thinks I'm batshit crazy. Well, we're going to find out because yeah, we have a batshit, batshit crazy <laughs> well, expert well, here. Yep. <laughs> Just right. got her MA today. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Real diagnosis coming Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> okay, so now, here we go. tell the story and we'll see how batshit crazy you are. Right? All right, so I've had two kind of prolific dreams in my life. One was when I was really little um, and I thought, you know, I saw myself developing pictures in a dark room. I was probably about six years old. My parents were watching TV and I ran downstairs and, you know, was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a photographer. 
They're like, okay, you know. Okay. And so my neighbor had a dark room, and he started teaching me how to develop photographs. Hey, how long ago was this when there were still dark rooms? Oh, you know, I'm young. I'm at least 21. Okay. Because dark rooms went away a long time ago. Yeah, didn't shh. Can okay, we just sorry. continue? All right, okay. <laughs> it's like 60 minutes here. Right. <laughs> okay. So the second dream came when I was about um, 21. And the same thing, it was like one of those dreams was so real, it didn't seem like it was a dream, like a real, because you could, you could feel it, you know what I mean? Like you felt it, you were there. And in the dream, I was carrying a big like beta cam news cam on my shoulder and I was walking through the streets with these waders on. You guys know what waders are? Sure. It's like what the fishermen wear. They're Shrimp, like rubber boots, but what's it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, with this. But it's the whole thing. It's like, um, yeah, it's like overalls, okay. but they're rubber. So I'm walking. I didn't know you could use those for anything outside, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there was like doors? a bedroom thing. <laughs> Ew. How do you... That's like a chastity <laughs> belt. Gross. <laughs> Go on. I think we have a new person to diagnose. That's a, that's a, that's a different kind of rubber suit. Wow. Different. Um, so, sorry. No, sorry. I didn't mean to throw you off. No, no, no. You didn't throw me off. So uh, I was walking down the street, these flooded streets, and I had this big camera on my shoulder. And um, I couldn't figure out really where I was. I just had the feeling that it was New Orleans, but I didn't know. Had you been here before? I had been here a ton of times. I had always loved the city. I, I fell in love with the city when I was, you know, little. Um, and I always had this odd connection to it that I could never figure out. And I always came here on every chance I got to have a vacation, I'd come here. So anyway, um, I woke up from this dream and it was so surreal that uh, I turned over to the guy that I was dating at the time. And I said, I'm moving to New Orleans. And he said, what are you talking about? Like, I had just gotten this awesome job as a stage manager at this big production house in Cleveland. And I was young and like to have this like promising career. Not that Cleveland does really shit in the film production industry, but like, can I say shit? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and of. you were living with a guy, too. That sounded like it was working out as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he was super cool. So he actually moved here with me. Okay. Oh. We moved a month later. I went into my job. I said, I, I can't explain why. I just have to trust this. So I'm going to go. And so I left. I don't, didn't know anyone here. I didn't have a job. I just packed my stuff in a van and moved down here. What did you do when you arrived? Well, I tried to get a job in... I mean, where did you stay? Well, I didn't really know van, where to Grant? stay. Oh, okay. I um, so I actually <laughs> found a small, really crappy apartment in Metairie and stayed there for about six months until I found my really awesome house on Burgundy Street, Burgundy and Esplanade. And that that's was a great of, spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's where I lived during Katrina. So anyway, blah, 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 let's speed up. So I get a job at Channel 6. I become a photojournalist. I do all these awesome stories. And then Katrina hits two years later. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to tell a stupid Katrina story, but I went to go check on my house. Um, it was after the levees broke, but nobody knew that the levees had broke at that mm-hmm. point. So I was kind of concerned with my animals. So me and my reporter... What have you got in the way of animals? I had... At the time, I just had a cat and a dog. Um... So now I have two dogs and a cat, I added. Okay. I, I thought it might have been something exotic and weird. No. But that's just from looking at you. Right. <laughs> okay. Don't let the hair fool okay. you. <laughs> it's all a disguise. Okay. Um, so I uh, jumped into our news van and we um, ran up Rampart, which wasn't flooded quite yet. Um, and then I kind of had to put my waders on to get through the water. Oh, boy. So I put my waders on and stuck my camera on my shoulder. And as I'm walking through the streets, I see this guy sitting on his porch and realized it was the dude that was in my dream. And when I looked down, I had the waiters on and the camera on my shoulder. And I was like, Whoa. like the, I was just like, I stood there, but I like couldn't do anything. I was just like, oh my God. Like this is actually what was in my dream. You saw I a saw person. the guy. It didn't there occur to me. There was a person in your dream. You didn't mention that when you described the dream. Right, you just dreamed, well, you it just wasn't, it, the he wasn't significant. Right. 
It was just some dude on a porch. Like he doesn't he, right. he doesn't matter now either. Okay, how do you explain that? I don't know, dude. You must have thought about <laughs> it for quite some time now. For how many years has it been since? I mean, right. that was it's nine years ago. Or so, yeah. No, I just dream. think that I'm supposed to be here. I mean, I think pretty much everything that I do now is to promote New Orleans. Nola Bound, the film that mm. I made, um, is all about getting people to come move here. Um, every partnership that I seems to have that I seem to have or, or come across, I'm always trying to recruit people to come to New Orleans. Like mm. my, like I just think that that's why I'm here. Have you had any more dreams? I mean, you must be no. dying to have another one. I'm not dying. They come when they come. They have to mean something. So if Imagine if you could I, dream the Powerball numbers. Well, yeah. Mm. See, I don't really useful. care. You know, I, I know this sounds ridiculous. I don't really care about money. As long as I'm doing what I love, that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, money. Power to you, sister. Right on. <laughs> wow. So, you must have some sort of belief in premonitions then. Obviously, if there's... That so came my true. What happened to that? Who was the guy on the porch? I'm I don't sorry know. I didn't even talk to him. Seriously, oh, he, was, in, he was, was insignificant. Like, I just kind of stood there and looked at him and I... He, I, he probably saw me looking at him and was like, what is she doing? Because she's not taking, she's got this big camera on her shoulder and she's not taking a picture of me. So why is she just looking at me? Right, well, that is a good question. What were you going to say? Sorry, I interrupted you. What, uh, what bio did you mean to send me that was going to be more interesting? No, it was the bio that was on my website. I just haven't replaced it yet. So if that's the bio that you read, but the other well, what, one that I what, sent you What did you send me that wasn't, that has something different? It doesn't have the different. dream in there. What does it have? I don't know, just Because you, you're sick of talking about that dream. No, I just don't want people creepy? to think I'm crazy. Well, you're not. <laughs> I, I clear you. I cleared you. you what do you think, Catherine? I think, she, I think she's, she's clear. She's Diagnosis. clear. She's, no, you're good. She's not you're crazy. You're just creative and intuitive. Yeah. How, well, how would you explain that psychologically or psychiatrically then or whatever the correct term is about premonitions? You know, I have to be honest, I don't have a lot of background on that, so I wouldn't be very good at you know, like clarifying it, but I mean, I fully believe in them. Is there know? a scientific explanation, though? Psychologically, how could there be? I think it's almost yeah, hereditary, because my mom, my aunt, my, the three sisters in my mom's family, they all have some sort of, like my aunt can hear stuff, she gets whatever it's called. Uh, Clear audio, yeah, Clear um, audience. She can hear things, she can hear people talking to her. My mom Jeez. gets dreams, but she sometimes has visions as well. She had this weird vision about a leaf. That like kind of told her the story as it was falling onto her lap. So I mean, everybody, all the sisters kind of have this stuff. Now, I didn't really get it. Like they get, like they get it all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't really get it very much. Andrew, you ever had a dream that came true? Apart from sitting here talking to me, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how it started. This whole thing, right? No, um, I don't think so. Or maybe he just doesn't want to tell you because they're all about you. Hmm. That, would, that would be fun. <laughs> well, those haven't come true. Mitch, it's, it's Mitch. It's your birthday. You ever had a dream that came true? Uh. No, nothing like that. I don't know. Like anything at all, though? Not that I can recall right now. Okay. George? Mm, not that I'd like to talk about. Oh. <laughs> well, you said the wow. wrong thing at this table. <laughs> have another drink. Let's talk about, George, let's talk about happiness in a minute. We're going Because I have a book in my cool. hand here that says The Secret to Happiness Everyone Knows by George R. Blow. What does the R stand for? Uh, Roland. Roland. I like that, too. Um, okay, so let's come back and talk about that. First of all, Mitch is going to play a song for us saying it's his birthday. Yeah. What about playing some sort of birthday song, Mitch? That was a <laughs> That's nice. Stevie, yeah. Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Wonder happy birthday song. What are you no, playing I'm play today? In, in a senti- sentimental mood by uh, oh, Duke oh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. An old
met you. You outdid yourself on your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Wow, Mitch. Gorgeous. That was beautiful. That was really, really great. Duke Ellington would have been proud of that to play that like himself. Really nice. So, George, you. did you, um, did you, this, the secret to happiness is what we're all looking for. Correct? I think we'd all agree with that, Agreed. right? And it's listening Who? to Mitch play uh, piano. That, that, does make, that does make you happy. How did, what happened to you? Did you have like an epiphany, like a moment or something that happened to you that suddenly you, re you realized your whole life had been a waste of time and you wanted to change it all? Um, well, this book was actually uh, inspired by my trip to Argentina. And, um, Why did you go to Argentina? Because it's A? It was, it was actually total luck. Uh, after I retired from Cox, I ran into an old friend who was in town to looking at some houses, and they have an apartment in Buenos Aires and they don't like to leave it vacant. So when they found out that I was at Liberty, they said, well, why don't you go down and stay in our apartment? I love and the word retired and at Liberty. I just want to know what this friend's name is. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you mean by retired? Well, I officially voluntarily retired from Cox Communications. But you'd only been there you know, for four or five years, you know, right? I've been there for six years, and six I passed years a benchmark, which officially qualifies me for a small pension uh, somewhere down the road. So I don't like to use the word quit, and I okay. don't like to use those kind of words. I mean, that, that was, uh, you know. So anyway, I ended up there, and that was the first time I started blogging. And for a long time, the blogs were just centered around, like, how cool Buenos Aires was mm. and the music and the people and the sociopolitical climate and all this interesting stuff. And then the blogs began to kind of morph. And I suddenly realized at one point that um, because the Argentinians will let you know exactly what's wrong with their country as soon as you get there, you know. But you, are you and I just realized. Are you working at this point, though? Or are you just no, you're no, literally I had retired? Been, I had been, yes, I had been saying. So you're not doing anything. You're living in Buenos Aires and just blogging it. Right. And so I, okay. when I left, I mean, I did not know where, every, where this was. I did not know I was going to be speaking to you today. Absolutely. <laughs> and I did not see myself in, in Argentina. Right. But uh, what I realized was that I was extremely happy, but um, I was, wasn't happy because I was there. But the realization was that it was the reverse. That you had because you went at Cox Communications. Well, no, what it was was that I had made, after Katrina, I had made being happy my priority. And the events of the circumstances in my life had rearranged themselves around that priority. And so that was the revelation, if you want to talk about revelations, was suddenly it occurred to me, you know, wait a second, uh, this one simple change in priorities has changed my externals so, in a very practical way. Okay, so way, tell know? us about the book, though. The book, I mean, how many pages is this book? Do you I know it's offhand? about 150. 150, or exactly. Like Good that, job. Yeah, so 150 yeah. pages yeah. explaining how to, to attain happiness. <laughs> well, what it is is What's that I continued to blog on the subject of happiness from Argentina and when I got back to New Orleans. Did you know anything about happiness before? I mean, had absolutely. you been a Buddhist or had you been praying or anything? Or You know, when I was a kid, I, I was always fascinated with this idea of a happiness that was not dependent upon external results. And so it's been a lifelong passion for me, uh, this what they call the inner journey. But I didn't make it my priority until Katrina kind of woke me up to, you know, <laughs> my own mortality, basically. Right. And so I really kind of put that as my number one objective every single day is to use the skills that I had to look within and fill with what I call unconditional joy every day. Okay, I haven't, we, figured you know, out, I haven't figured out anything yet, though. What are you actually saying here? <laughs> what do we have to do is what I'm trying to get to. Well, it's really very simple. 
And this is why it's very difficult. I'm going to, you know, it's like secret to happiness in what, one minute? Right. Well, how much, la- could you do it in less than a minute? <laughs> yes, I can. Is there a word? Yes, or I can. Is there a practice? Or yes, or yes, I can. Here okay. it is. Here it is. You ready, Grant? Yeah. Don't interrupt me now. Okay. Yes. Okay. You and all of the people sitting here and all the people listening to this conversation right now, you want to feel good inside as well as out. Feel that want instead of thinking about it. And you will eventually realize that that desire, that innate desire, feels good in itself. The desire to feel good, to enjoy being alive, feels good in itself. What we forget is that your innate desire isn't conceptual. It predates all of your words and your concepts. It's a feeling. It's like an urge, like a longing that you can't really put your finger on. But if you focus on it, it magnifies in your perception. And in the same way that hunger leads you to food and and thirst to water, feeling your own desire to enjoy being alive will bring that joy into your life. I love that. Krista, can you actualize that? Absolutely. Okay, how do you... You're talking about turning a desire... No, no, no. I think what he's saying is if you want to be happy, just feel happy and the happiness will come to you. What I'm saying is, is that you have acquired, everyone acquires a lot of worldly wishes as they grow older. But the fundamental desire behind all those desires is not conceptual and it doesn't relate to the word. It's world. It's a feeling. And if you can identify that feeling, remember it, maybe if you go back and think about when you were a kid before you had any words for happiness or joy or any worldly goals or anything else, something drove you to have fun and enjoy life and to feel good. That feeling is always there. But it has a tendency to fade into the background because we get so complicated, we get so into our worldly ambitions and everything else, which are great, but... The difficulty for the adult is to identify that and separate it from their, all of their ideas and simply develop an awareness of that core desire which drives you to have a better and better experience of your life. Catherine, as a professional. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget what? to listen to Mitch play piano. <laughs> uh, thank you. Catherine, what do you make of that? Um, I Ca- think, you know, I think that is a great... Uh, a great philosophy and um, as far as you know I totally get what you're saying and I think it's a very like holistic way of, of thinking about your happiness um, I could I would personally say that um, I don't think that would work for everyone but that's my personal opinion and I think that's just from professional experience you know because I'm as I was listening to you talk about all this I was picturing some of my past clients and things like that and and I, I you know some of them don't remember a time when they ever were happy and uh, what, what I've learned to talk to you about with, with them is because happy is kind of a, a more excited, ridden state of contentment. So we talk a lot about just being content and being satisfied, you know, not constantly trying to have this like elated feeling because, you know, it is kind of a manic side of contentment. Um, so live in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, but not, not to discredit. I mean, I think definitely it applies to a lot of people, you know. I don't know about universally, but I yeah, but you know, I, I see mean, the merit in it. Truly, I don't think you know. You can't give one rule to some you know the world right. and be like, "This is true for everyone." Absolutely, because it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, but heck yeah. I mean, heck yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm all about it. I'm it on your train of happiness. Yeah, you know? exactly. it works for you. Yeah, Andrew, you spend a lot of time thinking about happiness. Yeah, sadness, heart, <laughs> heartbreak. Sure, contemplating. A yeah. lot of your songs yeah. are I, about. Well, the I, human condition. Actually, obviously. yeah, just had one thought, like because 
there was a lot of uh, uh, the proverbial happiness is a direction, not a destination mm-hmm. in the latter part of what you were saying. But then the first thing you mentioned was uh, this, this idea that the process of uh, magnifying your longing uh, and, and, and letting that be will in itself bring what you are longing into existence. Kind of like the gift, if you read that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but that almost seems a little counterintuitive, right? Like, if if you magnify the longing, you're also magnifying the discontent and the fact that you don't have what you want. Oh, that's so. True. Do you kind of slip slippery slope there, or? Well, uh, what you just have to do is make a distinction between your the longings that you have for various things in this world and also discontentment. And what I'm referring to as your innate drive to enjoy being alive. Mm. Um, so for me, that's not a bad feeling. That's not a feeling of discontentment. It's actually a beautiful feeling. It's, it's a sign of life. You know, if you, you're, it's one of the first manifestations of life is that you want to enjoy being alive. And that's what I'm referring to, okay. regardless of the circumstances. Um, now, in some cases, I think that for um, certain people, athletes and things like that, I mean, just just to give a parallel, is that they will nurture their hunger for their, their ambition. Um, being hungry is something that drives them, and they don't see that as a negative or a painful thing. They, they love it. They, they want to feel that hunger. This is different because my, what I'm talking about has no external objective. Um, but at the same time, it's similar in the sense that it's, uh, you might think that it would be a bad feeling because, say, for example, if, if you're talking about hunger, the hungrier you get, the closer you get to starving, the worse that feeling gets. The nice thing about the human setup is that with this core desire, the desire behind all of your desires, um, and it takes some time to realize that, but w- if you do magnify it to a certain point, you, you eventually realize that it's not unpleasant, it's not scary, it's actually very subtle, sweet, and beautiful. And so it's a wonderful kind of... Um, set up the way we're made because this desire is not something painful that you have to go through. It's something that you can enjoy. And what it does is that that's the first step. And what it does is that it illuminates for you the pleasure and the beauty of your own existence. Your desire to enjoy your life makes just the real fundamentals of being alive, like you're just breathing, you're conscious, you're awake, you can feel just the real fundamentals. Yeah, but why don't it you, shows the why don't you live on the banks of a river somewhere in India then instead of writing books about it? Because what I want is the best of both worlds. And the whole point of... Don't, pe- don't we all? And, <laughs> and the whole point of Be peace... Be happy is, and wealthy. Right. The whole point of peace <laughs> is practical is that you don't have to give up anything. As a matter of fact... As someone who used to be a complete sports fanatic and was so obsessed with, 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 with the results, what I have found is that basically if you're enjoying be alive, being alive, you have a tendency to enjoy what you're doing in life more. And you have a tendency to do better those things that you enjoy. So rather than you know, taking you to a, you know, a lonely mountain in a cave somewhere, on the contrary, it helps you function. It helps you perform. It brings out the best. We do not function well in confusion and doubt and when we're miserable. It's, you have to learn the art of enjoying being alive to perform at your peak in whatever you do. And if you do, then you can find a way to your external goals. But if you're confused and you're angry and you're just not feeling well all the time, you're going to have a really hard time achieving achieving your external goals. Uh, agreed. Cool. Yeah. That's probably that's probably true that bit. Mm-hmm. 
And then also you've written a couple of other books. You've written a novel and a movie as well. But let's get on to that in a minute. Andrew, you want to play something? Sure, I'll play you a tune. Sort of give us a sort of... I'm, a, you I'm, know. I'm feeling pretty inspired by our new surroundings, actually. By our, isn't this beautiful here at Casa <laughs> really Borrego? Right. Yeah. We have gorgeous. to know, do you roll the R's Hugo, come Casa Borrego? Come and join us. Yeah, you roll it. Let's have, let's have Hugo come over here for yeah. a minute and tell us how to say But it. not everybody can roll their R's. This is Hugo Montero, who is the proprietor yours? of Casa no, Borrega. <laughs> you can share my microphone. Hola, Hugo. Casa Borrega. Oh, that is so Borrega. sexy. See? Borrega. Tres tristes tigres tragaban trigo en un trigal. I have no idea. Would you say that? Mr. Blows. That's like saying you know you need unique New York. In Spanish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you practice your art. What is it? What is, what is Borrega? Is that, I mean, Casa or is house? It's a sheep. House of sheep? Sheep. Yeah. Wow. S-H-E-E-P. Sheep. Yeah. Sheep. Sheep house. <laughs> really? What made you call this What made you call this place sheep house? My wife's nickname. Really? Ah, yeah. okay. She's, she's blonde. She looks, she's curly. She's blonde ah. and curly blonde oh, hair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody with a curly hair, blonde hair, we, we call it sheep. Sheep, really? Really? Like, it's, like, it's like sweetie pie. Okay. Oh, oh, it's like an affectionate nickname. Yeah. Sheepy. I like it. <laughs> Andrew, what are you playing today? Uh, play a song that I wrote at an international airport across the pond. And um, it's called Girls from Other Countries. It goes like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how you get the better of me Where are you from? And won't you kiss me in your native tongue? And have you come from as far away as I have? Or have I found my way to your land? Where are you from? And won't you kiss me in your native tongue? Ain't it funny how we meet this way Being born so far apart And won't you show me the way to the train Oh, won't you show me the way to your heart oh, Your heart oh. oh, are you good? Born in other countries, oh, how you get the better of me? Where are you from? And won't you kiss me in your native town? Oh, and we could go to the thrift store for a copy that fits in our new apartment that neither of us could afford on our own. All but together we'll be alright Well it's for you this song I sing Still your cheeks they don't turn red But just then it occurs to me You haven't understood a word that I've said 
I don't think we've laughed at one of your songs ever yeah, before. Wow, right? Yeah. Usually, uh, They're very somber and sad yeah, and about yeah. heartbreak. It, that's, Love that song. Love that's that song. That's a great little song. Thanks, y'all. What airport were you at when you wrote that? That was Gatwick. Gatwick in England. Yeah. Are you going back this year? I'm yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, working on it. Uh, I'm. Uh, in fact, I still have a T-shirt from the Maverick Fest from 2012. What's happened to my T-shirt? Looks striking like like 2011. <laughs> I'll have you know. So, uh, but yeah, I'm gonna go play that fest again, and then um, uh, got another one in August, and I think I'm trying to bookend those two fests. But maybe I'll keep going because there's a Spain thing that might happen. Wow. That's cool. We'll I wonder see. if we can deal you in for the show from over there on Google Hangouts. Yeah, that'd be cool. I don't see why we couldn't, right? Really I just cool. have to... Chris can what time out. is it over there right now? It's, it's like yeah, it's six like, hours. It's eight hours difference. Oh, I thought it was eight hours difference. London is eight. Is it? Yeah. Could, okay. Then well, it, it's... Uh, so it's like midnight. Twelve, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good. You will just head it for your first couple of days. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll be <laughs> drinking be a pint. Fine. Well, I'll be... Yeah, have a pint again. So we can do it live from a order somewhere. That'd be good. Krista, how did you get to make Nola Bound, that film about New Orleans? Um, I put together a demo reel of all of my eight years that I spent at Channel 6, and a lot of it was dead bodies, because my first, my first year working the news, they kind of had me on the you know, shift where you go and cover murders. That's what the news is, largely, in New Orleans. I know, I know. It's a murder report, basically. But um, as my career... With the saints thrown in. Yeah. Well, and yeah. then I got to follow the saints, and I went to London with the saints, which is why I know what time zone they're in. Cool. But um, <laughs> you have to hang out with the saints yeah, yeah. in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. You might have some interesting stories about that, I do you? I have great... St- yeah, great stories. Well, me, and, me and Fletcher Mackle slept in the same bed together ooh. for like two weeks. It Dream was, boat. It was... Pre- <laughs> like, I knew when his bowel movements... He's going to totally kill uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's 10.30, time <laughs> I mean, is so WDSU bad. that cheap or are the Saints that cheap? No, WDSU is that cheap. I yeah, mean, what is sure. the deal with that? They put, the, they put two reporters, I mean, well, you're the camera operator and he's the yeah. reporter, right? Mm-hmm. You're shooting it and he's reporting it. Yeah. They put you in the same bed? Yeah. I we, mean, really, I mean, the on. stories that we had from there were pretty ridiculous. We got into this knockdown, drag-out fight in the middle of Piccadilly Square in the middle of rush hour. So there is literally, like, you can't move. There's so many people around. And we got into some fight. I can't even remember. And he's like, I'm not carrying your tripod. I was like, fine, you could leave it there. I don't care. You're paying for it. So then I'm, like, walking away. And he's like, wait, wait. <laughs> like, trying to, like, <laughs> scream after me as I'm, like, you know, walking away with no, none of the gear except my camera. Yeah, it was, it was good times. Did you ha- that's a strange story, actually. That you, I mean, I'm still stuck in you and Fletcher Mackle in a bed together. Well, we had pillows but, separating us. Oh, that's sad. And I told him he can't <laughs> cross the line. No, he's like my brother. Seeing him naked, that is no, uh-uh, no. Not going to happen. What, um, what, what were we it, talking about before? What was it like hanging <laughs> out for a couple <laughs> points, eh? A couple it? points, you get in there, you know. <laughs> what was it like hanging out with the Saints in London? What were they like? Yeah, they were really cool. What they, were they um, doing there? Did they play an exhibition game? They were playing a game at... Um, uh, what's it called? What's the stadium there? Wembley. Wim- no, the mm, other one. That's the only one I know. That's tennis, I think. Um, R. R. 
Wembley was what I was no, going to say. No, I can't remember. Oh, that sucks so bad. I have a picture of it. They they don't have any sun there, so they would take out. <laughs> no, this <laughs> is true. Sun in the hall. They the take United. out lights and UV lights, and they're about six inches off the grass, and they leave them there for about eight hours a day, so the grass can get enough sunlight. Oh, how sad no. is that? Why would you live yeah. in a place that there's not can't enough imagine. sun to grow? Pretty bad. Pretty bad. So when we first got that's to the why stadium, they smoke hash, I suppose, right? Because the stadium also has more bathrooms than any. Like that's what they that's what they advertise. Like we have more bathrooms than any other stadium <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's well, it's pretty good for you and Fletch, especially with his bowel problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> God, he's ten, so good. It's ten thirty. He's gonna Which call bathroom? me and be like, bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, okay, so the, so you were hanging out this, with the Saints and mm-hmm. Fletcher Mackle in the same bed in a stadium with a lot of bathrooms. So, right. So well, far, it's an interesting trip. Well, and then the, the where they were staying was um, the, the one of the Queen's like getaway mansions, castles. Are the Saints and they sharing it, beds as well, by the way? No, they're not. Is Drew I think sharing pretty, with I really Marcus highly Colston? doubt it. I highly doubt it. That would have been a good story. That yeah. would have been different. They were staying we were in like this, you know, this castle in the middle of... Yorkshire, I don't know. Yorkshire, yeah. See, Yorkshire I, pudding. He says it. Yeah. Cr- he says it correctly. What is Yorkshire pudding actually? It's a. Uh, do you know? I don't. It's a. Uh, it's a piece of bread with gravy on it. It's not yeah. pudding at all. <laughs> There's like three different kinds of puddings in England, and none of them are pudding. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Is Yorkshire pudding? Yeah, it's yeah. all what gravy. Is it? Pudding There's is gravy, right? Black pudding is black pudding. a sausage. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. That's oh, and, gross. Uh, no. That's like yeah. blood sausage. And then it's just pudding in general, which is dessert in general, but not pudding like we. Not think. what we call pudding. No. It's so that's like when somebody says, can I have a Coke? But they really mean Sprite. Oh, yeah. That's why when you say, can I have a pudding? And then they give you a piece of bread with gravy on it. And you're yeah. like, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah. Coke is Sprite in England? No, no here. No, here. Here. You here. Say, like, <laughs> what? Here. I'll have a Coke. Here. What kind? Yes. A 7-Up. You know? Oh, really? Oh, so what Coke kind? is a generic yeah. term for like right. fizzy Soft drinks. drinks. Yeah. Right. Can I have a Coke? Is that in New Orleans you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yes, dude. Where do you hang out? I only hear yeah. the word cold drink. Can I get a cold oh, drink? Yeah, cold yeah, drinks, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, never it's more hip these days to say cold drink, is I think. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And well, then no one's ever accused me of being hip. Up in New you. England, what is it? Pop, you know? They say pop. Right, and so Cleveland. Pop. Cleveland, yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. they all say pop, yeah. I've always said pop. You know yeah. what else they do in yeah. New England? It's really strange. If you're sitting with like some Bostonites or something and having lunch and the waiter comes over and says, you guys need anything? What would you say if you said, if the waiter came up and said, you guys need anything? I'm fine. No, I'm fine. Thanks, right? They always say, all set. No, all set. They always say, all set. All set. Good to know. It's good to know for whoever travel. Are you guys going on the road to support this album when it comes out? Yeah, not... In a few days? um, Well, no. We have uh, our album release party is on January 31st at the Maison in the Upstairs. And we've got um, this nine-piece like brass band playing with us, the Ambassadors. They're pretty new, but they're great. And then we have Minutehead, which is like funk rock fusion. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with Nasimiu, who's like Mm an alt-art pop songstress around here, but she fronts the band. So so we've got that. And then um, we're just basically lining up a string of dates um, on some other bills with different artists and spreading the awareness that way, you know. And unfortunately... Um, just with all the members' set schedules and stuff, we're not going to be able to be leaving town anytime soon, um, not until the summer. But, okay. So for now, so we're, we can we're catch local. You, we can catch you locally in New Orleans. And for people listening to the mm-hmm. show outside, where can we find the record? Um, you can or go whatever to, it's called now. Yeah, you can go to socialsetmusic.com. Socialsetmusic.com. Yeah, okay. the record's there, the tour dates, everything you need to know. Um, so we can, down, can you download it off iTunes and the usual places as well? You will be able to in about two weeks. Okay. Um, right now it's not up. It won't be up until after January 31st, but after that you definitely okay. can. And George, what are you working on currently before we get out of here? 
Well, actually, uh, yesterday I signed up with the Louisiana Talent Agency uh, because I'm going to revive some of the acting that I did many years ago. So you're going to be an actor now on top of everything well, else? On top of being a writer, screenwriter? He's following his happiness. happiness following your genius. <laughs> okay. Golf swing aficionado, don't forget. Golf swing aficionado and now actor. And music lover, too. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And you've never been a waiter at a restaurant on Lee Circle. Ever. <laughs> Not there. Where did you used to wait at? I think the, when I uh, first got back from Europe, I had a job as a back waiter at Mr. B's in the mm. French. Oh, oh, that's a great right. little place. Yeah. Does anyone ever tell you look yeah. like Conan O'Brien? Uh, yeah, I've heard that a few times. Yeah. I was it's actually thinking that this whole time, and I didn't want to say anything. You, <laughs> you've been thinking that the whole time? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Really? So Does there he, you go. I mean, he looks like Conan He does look Conan O'Brien. But you guys, I don't come on. See it's, it. it's the waffy it's hair. It's the hair. Yeah. Yeah. Krista, what are you working on currently, then? Uh, currently, I'm working on, um, I do all the Downtown Development District's TV. They have a website called Downtown TV, so I do all that stuff. And then I'm currently going to, hopefully very soon after the Super Bowl, because that is consuming my life. Right. Yeah. Um, I am going to shoot a music video for GNO Inc., and we're actually using Simi as our singer. Oh, great, who, great. Does she sing with y'all, or...? No, but she will be coming together with us on a tune at the album release, so we'll okay. have a big old jam. But so, singing, Simi is going to be the singer for this fantastic mu- music video. We're going to kind of look out for that as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And Andrew, you're off next week. You're on the road somewhere. Don't remember. No, I'm sorry. Jim. You know what? I'm here next week. You're here next week. I am. Oh, good. Yes. Okay, I thought you were yeah. gone for some reason. I thought I was okay. too. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, what do you think about that? That's our first happy hour at this beautiful new bar we're at well called done. Casa Borrega. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Borrega. Borrega. There you go. Sheepy. It's a beautiful I, I, I. place. It's That's not right. even... Krista, thanks. It's not even open yet, but it's going to be open soon at the wait. end of February. Yeah. You've got to see this place. Yeah. Like these guys on Facebook and uh, follow them on Twitter. And... Uh, can't wait to get down here and see some live music in here yeah, as well. It's, yeah. live, it's a live music venue. It's a restaurant. He's, and he's a doing bar. Latin jazz in here. Pretty cool. Nobody does Latin jazz. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, great. My special guests on Happy Hour this week have been Krista Rock, George Blow, Sage Newell, and Catherine Rose, collectively known as 50% of Social Set. And <laughs> congratulations on your MA. Oh, thank you. That's thank really you. exciting news. It's yes, quite a deal. It Andrew Duhon has joined me, of course, as always. Mitch Foreman's on piano, and our show this week has been produced by Graham DePonte, Melinda Hawes, Trish Kaufman, Anoush Karun, and Elizabeth Fahey. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director, and our web designer and link to the real world is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Mitch Foreman, the birthday boy, wrote the theme song that you're listening to him currently play. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for approximately one hour, drop us a line our website's... <laughs> Uh, I mean, our email address is on our website. You can check out our other shows there as well. There's plenty of happy hours to listen to, as well as Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, True to the Game, with Chris True and Tammy Nelson. Win-win, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community with Steve Wynn and Chi Wynn, and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with liking, you can keep up with us by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, and you can sign up for our mailing list as well at our website, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, thanks for subscribing. Take a moment to rate and review us if you like. That would help other people find us. Our show was recorded live today at Casa Borrega, a brand new bar, restaurant, and music venue in Central City in New Orleans on Aretha Castle, Haley Boulevard, just at Felicity Street. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duham, Mitch Foreman on piano, everybody sitting around the table and back at the offices at INO Broadcasting. I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining us. See you next time here on Happy Hour.